the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor of PopOptic.com, and I'm joined this week from TV.com, the wonderful Mr. Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going really well. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're not we're not talking about Hannibal. This this feels strange. No, we are talking about Hannibal. You told me we were talking about Hannibal. Sean's not here, so we can complain about season three as much as we want. Yeah, for the uninitiated, <laughs> Noel is our um, is is our honorary uh, third chair over at This Is Our Design, weekly Hannibal podcast that uh, former uh, Televerse co-host Sean Coletti and I did, did over the three seasons of that show. And you came on for each of our season finales, and like the three. In, to three and a half hour long ma- marathons that those always were. Thank you yes. again, sir, for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were always a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to having a really fun discussion about many, many different shows today with you. And and we will be under. I can promise you this. We will be yeah. under three hours. We will under, be, oh, we'll definitely be under this three is and a half. Be weird. It's gonna be super strange. <laughs> it's gonna be super strange. Now, I wanted to chat with you briefly about like which of the fall shows that you've kind of kept up with but before i do that i have news that i should mention here that is pertinent to some of our listeners now over at pop optic i don't know if you're aware noel we're doing a fundraiser we're doing an indiegogo campaign because the switch from sound on site to pop optic has been more expensive than we budgeted for (laughs) there there were some surprise things that came up uh, and some other some other other needs that arose that uh we 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 need some help from our our listenership so for the first time in eight years at sound on site we're doing a a, and and then pop optic we're doing a fundraiser and the reason this is pertinent to our listeners is well first of all if the site closes then closes down because we don't have money then it i will be challenging to continue televerse i would i'm sure find a way because i'm crazy Mm -hmm. like that but it would definitely uh affect the televerse in a significant way um but even more significant to our listenership theoretically is that you can go over to our indiegogo page go to popoptic.com p-o-p-o-p-t-i-q.com check you'll see links there and you can go over and donate to the indiegogo campaign and some of the perks that you can get we don't like asking for money so instead our listeners and readers can buy stuff Uh, and one of the things they can buy is they can sponsor a dvd shelf and pick whatever cool. they want for me and a guest to talk about. And two of those are already gone. So there's only three left, listeners. So get on that. So thank you. Big thank you to Carl and a big thank you to Glenn uh, for that. I, they haven't told me yet what they're selecting. <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little nervous because it occurred to me after I like signed up for this and the first one was already gone. No, they might make me watch the Star Wars Christmas special. That is a thing that could happen. Yeah, but I mean, on the upside, that's like you know, a special. You don't have to watch eight episodes of something else or ten episodes of something. That's just one episode. I just, I would have to watch that scene all in Wookiee <laughs> again. That's like, no one should, like, when B. Arthur singing as the barmaid is your highlight of the, you know, like, come on. No, this just it's terrible. It's horrible. But I will do that, listeners, if you so decide. This was really sneaky of you because you're already talking about it. So now they can't do it. 
Ah. They have to do something else now. They're going to have to. Yes. So now, now, now maybe you have to watch Birds of Prey or. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes. You know, something really great. I gave that a positive review when it came out in my high school paper. Uh, I was just so hopeful. Oh, man. (laughs) I almost suggested that actually for our DVD shelf, but it wasn't streaming anywhere. So. Same. And I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know if you had access to it, because I have the DVDs. Ah, man. Well, maybe in the future. (laughs) And then another thing that they can do is they can actually come on for for a a larger donation. They can also come on the DVD shelf and be a guest and talk about their favorite show with me, assuming we have not already covered the show. So there there are plenty of other exciting... uh, perks and the opportunities over there um and you know even if you have we are, we're very aware we're all writers <laughs> we're all creative types <laughs> with no money we're very aware that not all of our, our readers and listeners are able to give uh to donate or to 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 chip in for one of the perks over at our campaign um because obviously we can't cover all of this ourselves or we would um but if you have $5 to donate, if you have $1 to donate, or if you can just share the the site and the podcasts and um, the the Indiegogo campaign with some of your friends, you know, get, you know, introduce other people to the podcast. Uh, you know, if you've got, a, if there's a particular post you like, uh, share that on social media. Any of that does help us. Um, so I wanted to mention that at the top because uh, I wanted to specifically thank Glenn and Carl, also long-term uh, listener, the always wonderful Mario. Thank you as well for, for he, he has not yet decided he wants to make me watch something, but he has uh, contributed to the campaign. So thank you very much, Mario, and all of our other listeners and contributors. Um, now, you mentioned the DVD shelf. You did not make me watch Birds of Prey. Instead, we're watching and talking about Justice League, which is a yes. show that's been on my to-do list for a while. Oh, great. Good. Yeah, well, because it's just one that I've heard, because I'm huge, huge fan of Batman the Animated Series. As right, who isn't? Televerse listeners will know. We did that DVD shelf already. Um, and I also uh, watched a lot of the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s. But that's mm-hmm. a, an X-Men, of course. But that's yeah. that's it. I hadn't seen I haven't seen the Superman series that I hear good things about. I have not had not seen any Justice League. And I know some of our listeners will be very excited about it because they're big fans. Great. I'm happy to hear that. I picked something really exciting then. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun. That's coming at the end of the podcast. But before we get there, I did want to ask, because uh, we're not really going to talk about everything we watch, because that would be insane. Um, but no, are, what are some of the shows, are there any from this fall that are new shows or maybe recurring shows that you don't think really get talked about that you are still watching? Have you kept up with anything? I've kept up with a lot of stuff, um, surprisingly, um, mainly because um, I just like to be able to keep up with things at least until the mid-season at this point, and then I'll probably ditch a number of things. Um, the um, few things I've been enjoying that I haven't seen like huge discussions about is I've been really enjoying Limitless. Um, I think it's a really solid procedural. Uh, it's got a really charming core cast. And it's also got a really nice visual language to it that with its graphic overlays, but also just visual cues to let us know when he's on NZT, when he's not on NZT. It's a it's a really solid put together show, as you'd expect from a CBS procedural at this point. And uh, the other one I've been enjoying is Quantico, even though it's just kind of batshit ridiculous and sometimes not the best acted show, but it's still a lot of fun. And I look forward to whatever weird pile on twist that they have this year. And I'm excited about one of the shows that we're going to talk about today, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So You say yeah. talk. 
I'm going to say gush. That's going to surprise right. none of no. our listeners. Uh, gush is okay too. I'm I have I have some like small weird problems with it, but no, I really enjoy that first episode. It's really great. Yeah. I've also been keeping up with Quantico uh and yet like nobody's talking about it. And the little yeah. at least on my feed, who knows, maybe in my bubble. Yeah. The little talk I do here mostly feels very uh guilty pleasure oriented. Yeah. Uh and I I don't know that I think that well I'm we could have a whole conversation about whether that's a thing that anyone. Right. I was about to say, have. I don't even think that's an actual thing for me. So I don't treat it that way. Yeah. I'm just having fun with it. And uh, right. yeah, I, they've, they're doing the ensemble cast thing really well. And it's, I like, yeah. I really like this week's episode, for example. Um, I haven't watched it yet. So oh, I yeah. will. I had the good wife to yeah. review. So yes, yeah. we, but, but uh, there's that one. I've been keeping up with blind spot. Uh, I've been keeping. <laughs> But uh, they did a thing in the, by the third episode. Theoretically, you know who she is, and so when they did that at the end, did you the watch second, the fourth episode yet? Yeah, I did, and that's why okay. I said last week I was like so ready to 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 single it out for praise for that reason, and then they may have undone it. I'm hoping that they have an answer for that because if they did this great thing in the third episode and then undid it in the fourth. I would be even more annoyed than if they had never committed in the third. But um, so I'm, I'm kind of torn about that one. I was so excited and then not, like you said. Uh, yeah. But those have been the two big ones, and as well as the Muppets. Because everybody, this is the first right. week we're not talking about the Muppets in quite a while. And it's kind of nice. It'll be a nice change. <laughs> no, I've been enjoying the Muppets as well. But I mean, I like that it's not quite as weird as I was feeling about in the first two episodes when I was just like, the sexual politics of the Muppets is a weird thing for me to have to think about. I'm <laughs> glad I'm not thinking about that anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to do a quick roundup. So thank you for your yeah. thoughts there. But like you say, when mid season comes, it's going to be crazy. There's still a couple new premieres. Supergirl's coming yep. next week. Wicked yep. City. We'll have a preview for Wicked City next week. But uh, for the most part, we're all set until mid season. And then that's just when everything goes insane. So. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we've got a long week in TV ahead of us, so we're going to take a break now and come back. Uh, I get to, I, I think it's going to be, I think you're going to hear uh, Sexy Getting Ready song listeners going into this, because we're going into comedies, and that week, among many things, means Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which means delightful musical selections for me. So we'll take a break and be right back with our week in comedy. It's the Sexy Getting Ready song. comedy i'm going to talk a little bit about you're the worst side bitch uh we'll have a little bit of a conversation about blackish mostly so i can mention rock paper scissors gun uh then we'll talk the truth be told pilot 
I think I know what I want to use that gun for. Um, <laughs> then Nathan, for you, had its season three premiere, Electronic Store, and Jane the Virgin will round things out with Jane the Virgin, which had its chapter 23, uh, season two premiere, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, its pilot, just, just happens to live here. I love these titles. They all have exclamation points. It's delightful. Um, but first up, you do not watch You're the Worst. So again, once again, no. I, I'm going to have to keep this brief. Uh, this has been the flummoxing to me, sir. Nobody watches You're the Worst. And this is one of those things, it's like I was discovering over the summer that nobody watches Review. And obviously, I'm exaggerating. But as, when, as I've been having different co-hosts on, it's really highlighted to me how much of a bubble I'm in. that I feel like everybody watches the same <laughs> shows I do. Um, sure. But no one, not all, I, none of the guests that have come on are You're the Worst watchers, at least while I've been talking about the show. Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm not here to, I'm not trying to give you a hard time. We all have too much TV to watch. We all have too many cho hard choices to make. Um, but it, it is a little disappointing for me because then I don't get to talk about it with people because this is such a good season. Um, this week, we get our answer to why Gretchen, do you, do you mind if I say spoilers? I should ask. No. Go for it. Okay. It's okay. I'll, yeah, you're fine. Okay. This week we find out why Gretchen has been sneaking out of the house. She is not having an affair, as some feared. She's just been going and driving quietly away so she can go sob in her car. Uh, and Jimmy, being Jimmy, finds this out, is relieved that she's not cheating on him, uh, and walks away from, should I leave now? I guess, and then <laughs> walks away smiling while his girlfriend goes back to sobbing alone in her car. Uh, it is just such a wonderful surprise in how they took that. I wasn't sure what to think about it, but I, I liked that change in dynamic, and that tells us so much about Gretchen and Jimmy, and um, with, without defining anything either. I love that they seem like they're fine, but clearly something's wrong with Gretchen. It's great that Jimmy doesn't try to fix it and doesn't try to fix her. Um, but it, that doesn't seem to necessarily come out of a sense of deep awareness from him either. So there's this, again, it's, I feel like a terrible person because I was so happy to find out, no, she's just been leaving to sob by herself because clearly there's some, some shit going on. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, I thought they, 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 the reveal of that and the way that both Jimmy and Edgar have known about her leaving, uh, which she thought was such a secret, and we thought was such a secret all all season long. I thought that was handled really well. I'm also really liking what they're doing with Edgar right now and having him reveal, or mention, not reveal, but mention in this episode, he knows he's been friend-zoned by Lindsay, who he had the this crush on, or still probably does. Uh, so moving him forward and away from in that kind of predictable friend zone, uh, will they, won't they dynamic that so many sitcoms fall into has, has worked really well. I like what we get here with, um, oh man, what's the improv show, improv troupe within the show. Hey, is that you, Brian, or something like that? It's like, it's a delightful. I'm shrugging at you. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's a delightful name though. It's, it's one of the, it's a, it's a, it's a fun element. It, that's really worked well. And I, I like that they're committing to that for Edgar and Lindsay continues to be fabulous. So I'm really enjoying You're the Worst still. And eventually, I'm sure eventually there will be a co-host who comes out who does watch it. Uh, but instead, let's move on to a show that you have seen uh, that I would love to get your thoughts on. I've just caught up in the last few days with the past a few episodes of Blackish. Their season premiere I thought was fantastic. Um, yeah. The word. Um, and this, 
the I was also really impressed with Rock Paper Scissors Gun, which was their second episode. The the most recent two episodes I have also liked, but not quite so much. How are you going with? Uh, how are you dealing, feeling about Blackish right now? Um, I've been really really happy with Blackish. Um, it was really solid from the start last year. I felt like, and I think it's continuing to do that. And I think the addition of having Ruby as a regular cast member has been a great idea for them, and it gives. It gives um, Pop someone else to play off of, which is great because Lawrence Fishburne is incredible on this show, and everyone's actually really great on this show. So no, I've been really happy with what they've been doing this year um, so far. And having Lawrence Fishburne not have a Hannibal conflict has also led to a lot more <laughs> pops on the show, which yes, we our listeners know how we feel about that, but they're not being a Hannibal conflict. Uh, if you don't, this is our design at pop optics, <laughs> go check it out. But, um, but it has helped blackish to have him around more prominently. Yeah, it has definitely. I also really like what they've been doing and doing rather subtly. I would say with the hair on the show, uh, the, her name is escaping me at the moment. Their eldest daughter. What's her name? Yeah. No, I've, um, this is embarrassing. I have no idea. I, know, I don't know any of the kids' names. There's, I know the little baby Jack and Junior, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, the, I know Junior, but I don't know the other two. But I just know that they basically st- steal every scene that they're in. Yeah. So <laughs> the kids are great, but I've really, yeah, I've really liked what they've been doing specifically with with the hair and makeup, uh, but specifically the hair for the eldest daughter and not commenting yeah. on it in a way that they easily could. They could have an episode sure. all about that, but they don't need to because uh, that's not who these characters are. They need to have a conversation about the con- the difference in background that leads Dre to feel insecure without a gun in the house and Bo to feel not safe with a gun in the house. They don't need to have a conversation about hair. hair. Um, well, no, it's it's not relevant to them for this. Like, they yeah. don't, like you said, they don't need to talk about it. This is everyday life. It's yeah. not a concern. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I just, uh, I, I've really liked these, these couple episodes and you know, that the first two, especially of the season did remind me of what I so enjoyed about the Carmichael show over the summer, but in, in a show that was also making me laugh a lot more and felt more, uh, didn't feel as, as dated in its presentation. Um, so while I'm very excited and very happy that Carmichael shows back for season two, I'm glad that there are other shows out there that are also looking at a couple of these, these issues that are, you know, concerns to American families, I would say. Um, certainly the, the, the gun issue feels very timely. Uh, but, yeah. uh, any other thoughts on blackish or, should we move on? No, um, I think one of the big things that I've liked about Blackish, and this again goes back to Pops and Lawrence Fishburne, is just how that character sort of plays off of this idea, for me anyway, just from a Lawrence Fishburne star image, it was, plays off his role as, as Furious Styles, And just that idea of, again, this idea of a Dre being raised in a tough neighborhood and pops being this kind of no nonsense father uh but comedically so but i mean i always go back to the idea of furious styles and um as like this sort of weird compliment bizarro version of furious styles i think that just kind of enriches my enjoyment of both pops but also when they do things like a gun episode and just this idea of what it means to grow up in that kind of a neighborhood and what it means for them to no longer 
have to be in that neighborhood and how that dynamic works. And I just think that's a really interesting thing for the show to never make a big deal out of, but I feel like is always something of an undercurrent anytime they deal with something like this and Pops is involved somehow. Excellent point. Uh, yeah, I, they, there's a lot that they're doing they're doing right over there at, at Blackish. And I hadn't talked about it all season, so that's why I wanted to mention it here. Unfortunately, it means it's time to move on to Truth Be Told, which... Woo! Truth Be Told! Is, oh, God, that is a terrible, terrible pilot. Um, yes. We, well, we pretty much pilloried I mean, Dr. Ken, but... That oh was... god, Doctor Ken was terrible. Yeah, but this oh. is worse. But this was worse. Yes, this was this was much worse. I think, though, I do think that also like Doctor Ken in a weird way. It's also one of the more, except for Cristela last year, which was fantastic, and I'm so sad it's it was canceled. Is that it's the show where I'm happy to see people actors comfortable in multicam setups. Mm-hmm. Where previously a lot of more recent multicams, people just haven't been comfortable in that. And both Dr. Ken, but also truth be told, we have actors who are comfortable in a multicam setup and understand the rhythms of what that's like to work in front of a live studio audience. And so, I mean, that's been great. It's just just really bad writing and really unfunny jokes. <laughs> Can you call them jokes? Is that are no. those are those jokes? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I obviously someone thought it was funny to have a concern about a hot babysitter maybe being a porn star. Oh my god. Yeah, there's I mean, and that's just one part of it. There's so like the, these I can't say characters. These walking clichés are just Right, they're archetypes. They're and they're they're supposed to be, I think, at least in this case. I think they're supposed to be sitcom archetypes. So that they can attempt to make fun of things like, oh, the hot the hot babysitter or the weird racial politics of that they want to they want to talk about, but they don't have anything interesting or novel to say about those things. Which is I think the biggest problem with truth be told, is that it's not actually telling any new or novel funny truths. It's not telling any truths. And yeah, even like your 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 trust that the writers are trying to is so much kinder <laughs> than I would. I, it's just it's bad, guys. It's just really... no, it's bad. It's bad. Oh. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I watched that, and listeners, I watched that for you, <laughs> and I watched it for you. So I mean, it's oh. a chain of guilt. It is a chain of guilt. <laughs> um, I also watched it for my own neuroses and sense of completionism, so I can't pass that off entirely on the listeners. I was hoping you would just skip it, like, because I send out these lists of what I'm planning to watch, but that doesn't mean that I expect that you will watch them, and I felt so bad when I found out that you had. Uh, any other thoughts on Truth Be Told? I almost didn't wa- recognize um, Paul Gossler. I Mark almost Gossler. didn't recognize him because of the hair coloring. Okay. took me like five minutes to realize that was him. Well, that was the only thing I knew about the show going in, that it was black couple, white couple, or I should say black couple, white couple, no, ethically yeah. ambiguous, you know, which is right, make such a point that's of. that's hilarious. Oh my God, it's so funny. It's, oh God. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the only thing I knew about it was it was the Mark Wahlgosser show, so um, I didn't have that issue, but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Anyways, I'm moving on, because instead of that, we can talk about Nathan... Uh, Nathan for you, which had a season three premiere, Electronic Store. Now, had you seen any Nathan for you before this? 
No, this was my first time watching it. I'd heard about it and his various like stunts. I'd heard about the dumb Starbucks thing, of course. Mm-hmm. And but I have never watched an episode of um, Nathan for You prior to this, so this was an interesting experience for that. What did you think? I I, I thought it was really funny, and it was one of those situations where if I wasn't already watching so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be watching this on a regular basis, but I'm already watching so much other stuff right now that the idea of working in another show to me is just, I, I my brain and my DVR probably can't handle it. Yeah. But no, I thought it was really funny. I really enjoyed how it built, and I didn't even like know the concept for the show prior to watching this, so I didn't know that it was like this riff on like a business turnaround reality show i had no idea mm-hmm. so i just went in completely cold about what this show was i thought it was actually just like a sketch variety show in the same vein as a lot of comedy central shows so that that was just really interesting and novel i thought maybe because i had had just hadn't watched it i thought it was still like really fresh for being on for three years at three seasons starting its third season so no, I thought it was really funny. I like how it built a lot of how it built from we're going to do this really crazy thing about taking on Best Buy and we're going to have an alligator and a really tiny door <laughs> and then we're going to sue Best Buy and then claim an insanity defense using this really crazy idea we had to try to jip Best Buy out of their corporate price matching stuff. And which it's I mean, this, let's isn't that something we've all thought, you know? Right. No, it's amazing. And <laughs> I just loved how it's this very in the same way about the dumb Starbucks bit, which I mean, I read about, but never actually saw or anything. It's this weird, it's this really delightful corporate mirror, mirror world of showing just the hypocrisy of capitalism, basically. And it's really interesting to watch a show really kind of subvertly do that, but also subvert the whole reality business turnaround trope that's ingrained in that again that idea of capitalism so no it's a really subversive really funny show and again if i had more time i would watch (laughs) this every week i think because it was really really funny had you watched this before i I take it you had i I have seen a few episodes here and there okay like you like you it's just one of those shows that when i've seen it i've really liked it and um i think it's great that there's a show like this on and that comedy is the home for this kind of comedy and like you said there's a lot of different comedies out there there's a lot of sketch comedy you know comparatively i would say recently there's been a lot um but there's nothing like this on tv no no not at all and yeah yeah, Yeah. really appreciate that it's really i really appreciate that the originality of it and that like you say like they're in their third season and it still feels fresh it still feels fun um like just the sight gag of the like i don't know how much to trust sure the character that's presented um because I know yeah. some people feel like he's just, he's not really acting. Uh, some people feel like it's very much a performance throughout. Um, I can't tell just watching right. the episode and here and there. I don't know that it matters that much either. Yeah. Is, or it's not for me. It wouldn't be like a huge concern. Yeah. For certain beats. If he's like playing a character or if he's doing himself. Yeah. yeah. Certain moments I think are much more effective for me in a theoretical concept uh, if they are actual reactions genuine reactions so when the guy the big kind of burly guy shows up in the tux and he's like you gotta 
you got to tux. <laughs> like yeah. that reaction works better for me if it's not a calculated one. But either way, yeah. it's really funny. And when the guy scrambles through and then like the lady who sees the yes. alligator and then just screams. <laughs> the psychic of that is fantastic. Yes. No, it's fantastic. And I also really liked the the fake reality show date he set up. When yes, God, really, really funny with the salsa dancing. Yeah, well, and as the, the hot topic manager, <laughs> <laughs> when 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 she like at the end of the day, she's just like kind of waiting. Are you gonna like? We should go out again. No, okay, I'll, I'll just leave then. <laughs> like the the awkward pause there, I thought was just delightful and held just yeah. the right amount. Uh, there's so much, there's so much to enjoy here, and. Like, when he's calling out the witnesses and uh, on his mock trial and it, like it, like you said, the way it grows and builds is delightful. It really is, is handled very well and, and timed very well. And uh, yeah. it's, I, yeah, I can, those of you watching Nathan for you every week, we get it. Yes, I don't think I'm going to start watching it week to week, <laughs> but at some point, if TV, like it, like some people are fearing, if peak TV ever implodes and there's a vacuum, this is one I look forward to catching up with. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I'd I'd be catching up on it with you. Yeah, well, there we go. That's that's a, I feel like that's a solid <laughs> endorsement. Um, but next yes. up <laughs> is one of my absolute favorite shows that is back, and I'm so excited it's back. And that's Jane the Virgin, Chapter Twenty Three. Yay! <sighs> My heart is is full of happy puppy dogs and 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 rainbows and all of that because Matteo is almost instantly back with his family and yes that was so crucial the the tone of this premiere and the way it begins is so crucial to keeping us on board I really am impressed with how they handled what could have been just like a sh- kind of show killing cliffhanger yeah, no. Um, I remember when that finale aired, a lot of folks were, like, really upset about it. And I wasn't so much as upset about it as thinking about the fact that the show borrows a lot from telenovela and soap opera motifs and that sort of thing. Stealing a baby is a perfectly reasonable thing to happen within the context of that kind of a narrative. My thing was is that Jane the Virgin hadn't done something that extreme and hadn't really built up to that kind of a outland I don't want to say outlandish but outlandish type of plot twist that it could have gone as you said just south really really quickly so that it didn't go south really really quickly and that it we ended up getting that really nice sequence of events where they get Mateo back and it's it's really touching it's really heartwarming and it reestablishes the romantic triangle in a really fresh way which was really important for the show to do I think and that that I think they did really well within the scope of like 12-15 minutes and I thought that was just like a master class in a way of resolving that cliffhanger in a way that felt satisfactory to the show but also didn't make that cliffhanger feel really, really cheap as, oh, we're back to the status quo immediately. No, you reset the table really nicely by going back to the status quo. And that was really important. What the, what the show gets so right, it, yes, it, it its plot draws tremendously from telenovelas and, and the soap opera medium, but 
everything yes the plot might be ridiculous but everything is grounded in absolute emotional truth and that yes. is where it could have gone so wrong so yes they on a plot level absolutely that's a legit choice for them to make on an emotional level that's where we run it could run into issues and they handle it so well and they the way that they they let everyone all our central characters just come through and you see them in their absolute at their absolute best jane like mama bearing her way it's like she finds the thing get out of the pool and like and yeah. finding the comedy in it while never betraying the characters um yeah it's a well done tip of the cap to to the writers to to Ginny Ehrman and the writers over there at Jane the Virgin. Um, what did you think about the rest of this premiere? Um, no, it was still like really really good. Um, I appreciated how I didn't realize how much I'd missed Rogelio being in my life. Um, every day, every week rather. Um, but no, I liked how it kind of brought back this kind of issue of fame for her. And I but also liked how they just again wrapped it up really quickly because. I like that it resurfaced, but it was also really kind of the least interesting thing that the show did for me in season one. And so I liked that it came back and within a good context of this Amber Alert and the search for the missing Mateo through Rogelio's overactive Twitter feed, um, which is a recurring joke that will never, ever, ever get old. And... Just that it was resolved in a way that, re again, reaffirmed that idea of Jane as the mama bear, to borrow your phrasing. And I was just, I just love this show as a show that's so deeply about family. And it's just so positive about being about family that it's just, oh, it's so heartwarming and good. And I just, I missed it so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we go from this larger than life the insane stakes of we got to get baby Mateo back from this international like drug dealer, crime lord, terrible person to I'm worried the baby's not gaining weight. This is something so yes. outlandish to something so real. And that's something that so yeah. many new mothers have to deal with. Uh, to, to, you should have whiplash, you sh but you don't because they handle yeah, it no, so well. No. But yeah, like you say, this, this episode lets all the characters really uh, contribute it does beautifully reintroduce the the love triangle, and I, I we something like uh, talking with a friend of the show, Sarah D. Bunting, about Felicity and uh, some other, you know, like when we did um, Gilmore Girls uh, with 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 Whitney um, Macintosh. I've talked about being team this or team that, and how yeah. and and how. It kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed at this point that when I was watching Felicity and when it was on the air, it never occurred to me to be Team Felicity rather than mm -hmm. Team. Right, I, I remember seeing this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, with with Michael and Raph, I feel like either one of them, you're also being Team Jane, and I love the way that they have manage to thread that and it's not like she's choosing between the the she's gonna have to choose between the person who's who's steamy but destructive and safe but boring like neither one of yes they have certain elements of the stable versus the the more extreme with those two characters but that that dichotomy really isn't there it's just choosing between 
when she does make this choice, if she does make this choice uh, soon, choosing between two very different types of bond that she has without devaluing either. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of actually the best things about the show. I know like a a number of, I've seen a number of folks who are very firmly team one or the other, but I mean, I've always, I've always, for me, like the team is always Jane's family. It's, Abuela and it's Ziomara. And I feel like that's the team I'm on, is that team. But both both Michael and uh, Raphael are just like, they're, like you said, they're both very well-defined options that both have their pluses and minuses. And you can see why it's actually a difficult decision as opposed to, oh, it's just, I like this personality this week, and no, it's this personality in another three weeks, and no, it's it's a much more complicated situation, and it's a really nice that it's a complicated situation. It makes the drama much more interesting. It prevents the love triangle from becoming really stale really quickly. And it's really, it's really interesting and exciting to see it continue to play out and play out with a new context now that Matteo is on the scene. Last question about Jane the Virgin. Um, thoughts on Petra and do you think they could pull off Petra successfully inseminating herself under these circumstances? Yes, why not? I mean, if, oh gosh, if Elizabeth Banks can get pregnant on Scrubs, the way she got pregnant on Scrubs, then yes, I think that this way can work just fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I would have less of a raised eyebrow here than on uh, a similar scene, but with a much, much less uh, articulate and uh, prudent, maybe, process that what happened on You're the Worst uh, by a very drunk Lindsay. Um, but it's still going to take some convincing for me. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I trust the writers here implicitly, so I look forward to what they have up ahead for us. Um, but let's move on to our last show for this week in comedy, and that's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And for me, what I, I was expecting, um, I was hoping to like it because the CW has had such fabulous taste over the last couple seasons with their development. Uh, Mo Ryan wrote a great piece about that over at Variety. Yeah. People can go check out. But I, what, I, what I wasn't necessarily anticipating is for this show to show show the series to demonstrate um as much depth and careful consideration of its lead character that we get in this first episode that was a really pleasant surprise for me because from in all the trailers it seems like oh she's this crazy woman who follows her ex-boyfriend across the country but i think they did a really good job in this pilot at least for me of establishing um her like a, a larger depression for this character, a really oppressive relationship and unhealthy relationship with her mother uh, that maybe she never even wanted to really be a lawyer while also making her apparently a very intelligent, competent lawyer. I think the way that they created the situation where this person would fly halfway, ha- have, a, have a serious panic attack and then fly halfway across the country, uh, it works fly entirely across ent- the entirely across the country. Yes, thank you. Works so much more than it has any right to work. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, again, I think it's one of those situations where the title is not giving us a full picture. Even though I do still kind of love the title. Oh, I love the title just because yeah. <laughs> just because of how it's pl- how it's played, it works. But no, I think you're absolutely right. Is that 
she's not so much chasing after Josh. She's chasing after the idea of the last time she remembers being happy. And that's really what this is about for her. And that's why she leaves New York, leaves the law firm, and goes to West Covina. And indeed, in fact, Josh just happens to be there. It could have been anything that was the last thing that made her really happy. But this is the last thing that maybe made her really happy, which is deeply depressing. And I think that there's something really interesting and really fascinating for the show to explore about this woman grappling with trying to latch on to one thing that makes her happy and maybe finding something else that makes her happy now that she's in West Covina. But I think it's, I think it's going to be a really interesting show to watch develop. I'm so excited. Um, not only for Rachel Bloom, who I think is fantastic in this lead role. Um, and she's, she's also the creator of the show. Yes. Yeah, co-creator of the show, yeah. Co-creator of the show. Loosely based on, like, a YouTube series that I think she had developed a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I'm very excited for her, but I'm also so excited for the entire supporting cast. Somehow, I missed that in the beginning of August, to promote the show, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did a tap dance challenge that they send out to other CW and CBS shows. I missed this as well. Yeah. (laughs) And it's amazing. And you can go see, because of course, Josh of Josh's happens to live here. Um, is, was, is, is a, they're all like most of the main cast are Broadway vets. But, uh, for example, he was a, a, like a dance captain, like head of like the dance dancers or whatever. I'm like anything goes the touring company and stuff, you know, which has some insane. Yeah. Right. You guys can't see Noel's face, but he's making the correct face for hearing that news um so he's amazing and of course you can hear in the first up in the premiere um the the colleague at the new business who's not very trustful of of rachel when she shows up uh also has pipes uh fantastic Mm -hmm. uh broadway experience and fabulous voice um of course the the bartender that we meet people will know him from you know singing in frozen being the the voice of the male lead in frozen uh so they have just such a talented cast um they challenged by the way gina rodriguez among others and she did respond not with tap but with salsa and we get some other uh delightful the the ncis la cast who were challenged as part of this also did a fabulous number so seek it out guys because it didn't catch on like I'm sure they wished it had, but it is delightful. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited by this. What did you think of the two songs? Um, I really like both of the songs, um, especially but especially the "Sexy Getting Ready" song. It was fantastic. I mean, I don't want to use the phrase Amy Schumer esque this early, but Amy Schumer esque in what it wants to say, how it says it, and just the execution of it. I mean, it's fantastic, and it's really deeply funny but also just making it just pokes fun at societal stereotypes societal expectations let's see how the guys are getting ready (sighs) and he's snoring on the couch and just all of that sort of stuff and it's just it was really really funny um west covina um josh just happens to be here the opening number is again just is that awareness of how an opening number for musicals should work 
Mm-hmm. It's it's big, it's splashy, there's a lot of synchronized dancing, and it's just, it's basically saying, this is the show, and here's the gauntlet for, if you don't like this number, then just go away, because <laughs> this is what the show's going to be. And I think that was a really smart idea for them to do it like that. By the way, the director of this episode, Mark Webb, people will know from Spider-Man and 500 Days of Summer. He also directed the Limitless pilot this this year, uh, as well as the Lone Star pilot, which is one of those uh, best pilots of the past 10 years, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, So, yeah, it's not super surprising to to me that so much of this works, um, even outside of the writing. I I think that the production values, like you're saying, of the numbers are so effective. And, I mean, that tag at the end where we've got the the guy who comes in who I'm I'm told I should know who that is that that is a notable person who comes in and the the sexy getting ready song and then discovers feminism and oh, re- realizes I have no idea who that was. Oh, so. when, when he's calling his bitches to apologize to and yes. quoting the second um the second sex and everything it's yeah. wonderful. I, yeah, I, no, it was really really funny. I can't wait. Uh I hope I hope to get more in that vein as far as um just like these kind of tags that they can add in. That feels like the kind of thing they easily could have added just to kind of help pad it out to go from the half hour format, which they were originally shooting for, to the 45 minute hour long with commercials format. But I think it really transitions well. uh, And I can't wait for the rest of the season. I I think this is obviously the best new new fall show. And I really hope it didn't get great ratings in the premiere. I really hope more people check it out. Yeah, I hope so too. I kind of disagree with you about the transition from the half hour to the hour mm-hmm. long just because I felt like a lot of spots particularly when she meets the bartender in that in that bar there's just a weird rhythm to either the editing of that or just everyone's deliveries that just kind of felt off to me okay. and I think that there are some weird like odd dead spots that kind of cropped up in that pilot I think were more from going from that transition than anything else. And I think that's just something to work out and figuring out rhythms between actors and also figuring out what your show's editing rhythm is, which is really important, especially when you're doing a musical and, and doing a comedy as, as well. So I think that's just something that can be worked out. But yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of a weird like nitpick to have. But when that's the nitpick that you have is this thing could be a little bit better edited that's pretty good, I think, for a, new sh- for a new show that's this very bold about what it wants to be and what it's doing, and that it's a musical on the CW that isn't a supernatural special episode. <laughs> <laughs> Though, you know, I did love that supernatural musical episode. Um, it's great! <laughs> so good. Uh, well, what wins your week in comedy, Noel? Um, No, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, for sure, definitely won my week in comedy for this week for this past week and i will give it uh all to jane the virgin we can have a, a one two punch for the cw like that's the show to watch that's the network to watch on mondays as far as i'm concerned so excited now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre
this week in genre, I'm going to talk a little bit about Doctor Who, The Girl Who Died, and then we'll dive in with The Flash, Flash of Two Worlds, Arrow, The Candidate, and, of course, I'm so excited because, Noel, you watch Steven Universe, so finally... I do watch Steven Universe. I get to talk about Steven Universe with somebody instead of just monologuing about it. Uh, so first up is Doctor Who, The Girl Who Died. My review for this is up at Sound on Site, and I pretty much loved this episode. It was it's my was favorite... Was this the Maisie Williams episode? This is the first of two Maisie Williams episodes. Okay, okay. It, yeah, and uh, they did... I think they did a really good job. It's As far as I'm concerned, right now... It's my favorite Twelfth Doctor story, and okay. uh, I, I they, the way that they take even just something as small as because you know, the Doctor speaks baby. I don't know if you're aware of this, Noel, but the Doctor speaks. I was not, but I does not surprise me at all. Yes, and this is was established during the Eleventh Doctor's tenure when he was uh, talking with Stormageddon, Dark Lord of All, also known as Alfie, uh, the adorable baby of James Corden in his series a trilogy of episodes that he came on for um or maybe it's two with an intended trilogy i don't know anyways uh that was it was a kind of a nice comedic bit they brought it back here as a baby is crying um in this village of vikings that are gonna get destroyed and slaughtered horribly the next day for tremendous dramatic power because guess what Stephen Capaldi is an amazing actor and give him material and he will sing and uh, it was fantastic so we get we got scenes like that but that scene by itself that would be a really nice moment in in an otherwise ordinary episode except that then it's also like every scene that you get is built on character is built on the doctor's relationship with Clara with his constant struggle between helping people who are asking for help and the effects that him doing so will have on the timeline and the rest of the world. They, they convey that in a really effective and powerful way in this episode while also having fake Odin's head appearing in the sky <laughs> and uh, the, this alien race, the Meyer who uh, go down and, uh, and get all their warriors and basically uh, use a ray to, pulp them mulch them up into vials of uh, testosterone and adrenaline that they drink for because it's delicious um which leads to the delightful line go out oh there's plenty of testosterone the, the 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 galaxies or the universe is full of testosterone trust me it's unbearable from clara which is absolutely you can guess that i like that um but there's well, sure who wouldn't like that who wouldn't right it's it's delightful there's 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 the doctor proving that he is an all-powerful being through using a yo-yo he just is like oh but ah how did i do it clearly i'm a god uh, like it's it's got this ridiculous comedy uh fantastic a uh, very strong performance from Maisie williams who works very well with clara and as well as the doctor i'm looking forward to that character coming back next week uh but it, it for me it really hits everything that doctor who is at its best they all come together in this episode which i was kind of waiting for a 12th doctor story to do so i was very excited about this episode but it doesn't matter because you haven't seen it so let's move on to the flash flash of two worlds what did you think of uh meeting oh goodness what is his name the crimson comet jay garrick jay garrick what did you think of jay garrick first of all as like a 
a moderate comic book fan, I was really excited about them bringing on Jay Garrick, but I was more, even more excited by the fact that the Jay Garrick costume looked really, really good on the show. Because that's just a costume that kind of looks silly, even on the page, on the comic book page. That but it's definitely okay that looks, looks silly. <laughs> right, but it's okay that it looks silly on a comic book page. But it's one of those things that you go, can you guys translate that in a way that doesn't look ridiculous? And they did it. Even the helmet doesn't look ridiculous. And it was just really exciting to watch that. And I'm very excited about the Earth Earth 2 scenario type stuff. Um, I'm excited about Zoom. I'm excited about Barry learning how to use his powers differently and tap into some new Flash abilities. And so, no, I'm very, very excited about everything that was happening. I really enjoyed the introduction of Patty Spivet for the most part, even though I kind of feel like they're doing a cop version of Felicity Smoke a little bit with her. And on the one hand, I'm like, oh gosh, can you guys write a different type of likable female character? But on the other hand, I'm also just like, uh, this is the kind of character that is at least juxtaposed nicely against Iris for a foil. So I can understand that impulse to do that. So I'm I'm pretty excited about where The Flash is going this season after being really impressed with the show last season. So I'm I've I've really enjoyed Flash of Two Worlds and I thought the special effects looked much better this week than they did last week where Adam Smasher looked really terrible to me and uh Sand Demon looked much much better. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, visuals work pretty well. And, I mean, I got to give credit to Teddy Sears, right? As, oh, right? Really good. He gives, like, he, he's selling really corny dialogue with just such earnestness that it just it really, yeah. like, calling everyone kid. And, um, yeah. it, it, and it works. works. It works for that kind of golden age type of character that they're setting him up to be, but also just like that Flash to Earth 2, which has that kind of art deco architecture style to it that we kind of get little quick, really quick glimpses of, but it all kind of works to this idea that he's a throwback superhero type of character. And like you said, Teddy Sears really sells it in a way that I don't think that if it wasn't being sold, it would just fall completely flat. Absolutely. And he's making it work. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I really they do a good job of establishing a good rapport, not just with him and Barry, but with really the whole crew. And the you you buy his like Barry wouldn't do so well <laughs> if he ended up on, on Earth too, uh without his abilities and was stuck in a cage. Uh, he wouldn't do so well with yeah. his captors. I think they do a really good job of establishing who Jay is to allow him to be that chill for that long about them ignoring him. Um, and then when they do come together, it does work so well. I mean, I don't read the comics, but I have seen that, yeah. that image from the one comic book cover that they used in yeah. this. And I so got chills. Mimic, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those, I'm, I'm kind of over both flash and arrow doing like little Easter eggs to other comic properties and that sort of thing but i just loved that because it looked great and i mean it was a very nice acknowledgement of a really iconic cover that even the show's title was referencing and acknowledging i just it looked really great and it looked really cool and i didn't care that it was kind of extraneous to the plot or anything like that it looked great and it was a really nice image for them to 
recreate. Well, and it's not the, it's not just it's in there as a tribute to the fans and to the comics to the yeah. original, but it's not just they took a, and copied a visual and and lifted it without really translating it for the medium. There's motion yeah. in the shot. The scoring yeah. works really well to support it. The performances from all involved works really well to support it. And they take the the male, I think it was a, it's a guy or a security guard or something like that, and they make her the female uh, uh, Patty. Yeah. And 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 so like just like. The, the way that they, they, they just change some things to incorporate a character, this new character they've introduced while maintaining others. It just, that moment had a, a really significant effect on me being completely unfamiliar with the comics. I can't imagine how right. great it was for comics fans. So I had to mention it. Um, any other thoughts on Flash or shall we move on to Arrow? Well, I have a big question for you. How excited are you about Earth 2 Harrison Wells? Oh, yeah, that was actually pretty neat. I'm very excited because I I, I love that actor. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Back since, since Ed, I've, you know, been right. following him. And, and uh, I was so excited when he got cast on the show. And then very excited when he was revealed to be a villain. While also disappointed because that means he can't stay around. So I love that they found a new... But is he evil in Earth 2? He looks he kind of sinister. sinister. Yes! yes! He's like, hello, children. And it's just like, no, get away from the man in the nice suit. <laughs> yeah, I, I really am hoping that that's a mislead. Um, yeah. Just because they've already done that. Sure. But um, we'll see. No, I was, I, I think that they do, they do a good job with that. And finding a creative way for him to come back yes. is, you know, works. And I, I'm looking forward to it, yeah. basically. It's I'm a long way excited. of saying. I love that there's a show doing multiverse other than sliders. <laughs> I've seen oh. like almost all of Sliders. Yeah, no, I've seen almost. I've seen almost all of it as well, but it's been years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a feeling I will probably like uh, what they have coming on the Flash a little bit more than at least the end run of Sliders. But for now, let's move on to Arrow, uh, the candidate. What did you think of the introduction of Jerry Ryan and the you know end of episode revelations that we have Ollie's running for mayor and it's time to to, to Lazarus Pit Sarah. Um, Jerry Ryan's appearance was, like, fine for me. I think one of the big things about Arrow this season, especially with the casting of Neil McDonough as um, Damian Dark, has been the fact that they got someone who doesn't have a lot of genre baggage for me to play a villain, which they had been doing for the past three seasons. And so bringing on Neil McDonough to handle that as the villain I thought was really smart. So bringing in smaller, like, roles for, like, Jerry Ryan to come on and do this probably just this one episode i think that is all she slated for um was a nice way to still work in like a, a genre favorite to come on do this little bit but also serve as a nice way to segue into oliver wanting to do something for star city that isn't putting arrows into people it was one of my big things last season where Oliver was moping around a lot about what he could do for the city that didn't involve being the vigilante, and he never really settled on anything or tried to do anything after giving up his company. And it was just like, Oliver, why don't you become a community activist? Why don't you restart Canary? Why don't you do something else? So now he's running for mayor, and I'm really excited about that as a comic book and Green Arrow fan, because Oliver Queen's run for mayor in the comics before, a number of times actually, and he's been elected mayor in the comics before, while still being the Green Arrow, of course. So, I mean, just that sort of really exciting thing from a comic book perspective. So I'm really excited about Oliver running for mayor. I get overly excited about election storylines and anything. 
because it's just like catnip for me. And so I'm looking forward to hoping that this election storyline is a little more interesting than the Moira Sebastian Blood election storyline ended up being last year. I'm not excited about digging up Sarah's corpse and bringing it to Nanda Parbat. Um, for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense that Laurel would want to do this now. It makes sense for Laurel to want to do that last season. It doesn't make sense for her to want to do it now on top of the fact that, hey, Oliver's telling you that Thea's kind of going a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because of her experience in the Lazarus Pit, and Thea was only mostly dead. <laughs> Sarah's all dead and has been all dead for like a year. This isn't going to go well, and why do you want to do this to your sister? And for me, the answer is because she's in the spinoff. And that's just dramatically not interesting to me. And it, it's undermining a lot of the Sarah stuff that they did really well last season. That, that was basically the highlight of last season. And to watch them do this makes me really unhappy and really, really nervous about what they're going to do. How do you feel about it, the candidate? <laughs> uh, well... I, I agree about um, Ollie running for mayor and needing something to do that isn't put arrows into people, like you say. <laughs> uh, I think that's very wise. Um, it also provides an opportunity to show, for Oliver to show to Diggle and everybody else, but I mean, I think emotionally on the show, it comes down to Dig right now, uh, that he is trying to do something different. Or, or um, you know, Captain Lance as well. But uh, um, Sergeant Lance, Detective Lance, whatever. Lance. Mr. Lance. Quentin. Dre Dresden from Dresden Files. <laughs> um, but, uh, Paul Blackthorne. But um, the, as for the, the end of the episode, I absolutely agree. It's the spinoffs coming. Uh, I was expecting it to happen last season, like you, like you. I was expecting when Oliver's like when they're saying, you know, why should I stay here? They're trying to when when Roz was trying to woo him to be like, by the way, we brought back your girlfriend. That yeah, would have right. worked. Uh, that could have been more in keeping with the characters. Um, but yeah, like you say, without there being a specific reason that this needs to happen in show, um, it does feel very odd. Um, so, I mean, and especially for her to to do this without, I don't know, calling up her BFF, uh, Katrina Law, who's still over there. She's in this week's episode, so she gets to respond to all of this this week. Okay, well, at least that's something. But um, it just seems, like you say, if I suspend my knowledge that this is happening so that she can be in the spinoff... Um, in the moment, it's a ooh reveal, but as soon as you start thinking about the character motivations, yeah. it it falls apart. Yes. Um. So they've turned a lot of other things around so far yes, for this season. I agree. So maybe they know something. Hopefully, they know a lot that we don't. But... Well, they don't know some things that even we don't know. So it's really frustrating because I mean, you saw that yeah, they don't. Like they don't know. They who's don't dead. know who's dead, and it's just like, how do you not know that already? No. So, yeah, no. So it's kind of frustrating. Um, I figured out, like, today, like, the best way that they could have bought Sarah back without undermining all of this is just to have Sarah from an alternate Earth be on the spinoff. Problem yeah. solved. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, one of their characters is a time traveler. Yes. So, you know. And their whole way of dealing with time travel is really wonky. A lot of people complain about Flash's time travel mechanics not making mm -hmm. any sense and... 
ignoring paradoxes and it's just kind of like well if you could have just had rip hunter save sarah at the last minute that would have worked i guess or like i don't know replaced her body with a fake or something like there's there's a gazillion ways to handle this that he's got future tech don't undermine the characters yeah so well we will have to see um but i will check in with you on Twitter and the like to get your thoughts after we get a little bit more on this. But now let's move on to Steven Universe. Yes, let's we get move to talk on to about Steven it. Universe. I'm so excited. Now, unfortunately, I'm not as down with this arc, this recent arc that's been yeah. happening with Peridot. And that's yeah. it's I don't like to say anything but glowy, crazy things about this show, but we can actually have a conversation about it. So so let's do that. because um, I'm not worried that from what I say you won't watch it. Uh so how are you feeling about Peridot and this this whole arc? Um, I like you, I haven't like been as deeply involved in Peridot and this idea of the cluster at the center of the earth and anything. May even though that they've been actually like planting the seeds for the cluster concept basically since like the the season one finale in the prison break episode, because that's the entire reason Peridot's there on Earth is to investigate the cluster. And she mentions that to Jasper. So, I mean, this has been something that they've been, like, planting seeds for, but it's also just not super interesting right now, is the thing, because it's this, for me, it's this abstract concept of this thing that's in the center of the Earth that could destroy the Earth, but most of the really interesting threats tend to be really personal or about their history as gems, and this just seems really isolated from the rest of them. And I think that's the reason why I'm not responding to it as much. Is like it's this big save the world plot that's this abstract save the world plot, which is something that they typically don't do. And I think that's why I'm not totally invested in this from a plot standpoint. Even though this past episode with Peridot explaining gem hierarchies and gem prejudices I find really interesting and really fascinating bits of world building and this idea of Amethyst being a runt Amethyst who should be the leader of the gems as her station I just find all of that really really interesting and really fascinating but the context for getting into this stuff hasn't been as interesting as I was hoping it was going to be how do you feel about it um I actually am more on board with the cluster stuff mm-hmm. that it sounds like you are. Um, I think it's a really, really good concept, and, I, and it's a good way to get Peridot on Team Gem, sure. basically, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it takes care of a lot of shorthand that they, you know, it's a shorthand for a lot of the, what they need to do. Uh, I'm actually a little less on board with how they've been handling the last couple episodes, the, th- the stuff with Pearl and then the stuff with Amethyst here, because it just feels too directly one for one. Okay. Like, Peridot shows up and it's like, oh, but I don't respect you because cause they, I feel like they've already done this with Garnet. And so to, to, to then have Pearl and Amethyst and Garnet all be these misfits who left because not just because they believed in Rose Quartz and this this larger battle, but because they didn't fit in and because they were looking at, like yes, those are all individually great ideas, and they, they I think you know I really like you know after you know Pearl so well as this just like you can't imagine her being anything other than what she is. They're like, oh, no, all the rest is like she's nude from Doctor Who, which is not helpful for you. But the rest of her of her entire like species or family or whatever you want to say 
are all basically automatons and slaves. Um, that's a great idea, but I feel like they've already done that with Garnet. Um, and I would have liked to see it handled, I guess, a bit more elegantly. Um, and, and your model may vary here, but again, I, like, I feel like that's the kind of thing that I should get a song <laughs> for. I feel like there should be a song about that when, because they, that's some, there should be some powerful emotions that Peridot is tapping into. And some, I think the, what I've ha had trouble with is some of the writing for Peridot hasn't felt as nuanced or interesting as the sure. writing for some of the other characters. And I also think some of the vocal choices for that character when she is in her current state, um, is is kind of taking me out of it as well because she sure. just is constantly barking orders all the time because that's her personality. That's great. But if she's going to have like a nuanced conversation with us, if they're going to get into this this debate over what a pearl is and all this stuff with her, the personality they've established for her, what we get fits and that makes sense. Um, but to have a more meaningful conversation about the show to have a more meaningful conversation about it, I feel like I needed some more variety in it. And, and I feel like I'm getting just the same two, maybe, tones from sure. that character. I don't know. What do you think about all this? No, I think I totally understand where you're coming from. And I see your point about basically the kind of repetitiveness of how they're presenting this. And I agree up to a point, but it doesn't. it's not bothering me nearly as much as I think it's bothering you. And But I do take your point about Peridot from both just a characterization and a vocal performance standpoint in that it's kind of grating and I think it's supposed to be it's supposed to be grating and I think there's also this element that Peridot feels for me at least very inspired by like late 1980s early 1990s like villain sidekick type characters who are exactly like that and I think that's where Peridot's coming from as a type and for me, that's why I'm more willing to, like, kind of roll with the characters. Characterization. Gosh, that was awkward. But I'm, I'm willing to accept how that Peridot's functioning because of where I'm positioning her within a tradition of other characters. But I do agree that through the discussion that we're having that some larger emotional pushback on how Peridot's responding to both of them, both Pearl and to Amethyst particularly, because Garnet at this point just doesn't have fucks to give. She's just like, She's what? got no. She's yeah, like, what? She's, oh, yeah. I loved her reaction in this episode. Yes. She's like, yeah, it was offensive to me yeah. for her to not be tied to that post. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, it's terrific. And But no, I agree that, but I also think that that says a lot about anxieties about that are still within Pearl and Amethyst that the show maybe isn't exploring as well within this context, but is maybe possibly coasting too much on previously established and exploration of those anxieties for us to fill in those blanks in, in this arc. So we know Pearl has always felt less than what she should be aspirationally speaking 
and that's why she rallied around Rose Quartz and this sort of thing, and Amethyst's entire things about being created within the kindergarten and not being maybe a true gem in that sort of a sense, and that sort of concept and how we've already seen this play out, but now they're like having it thrown in their face and they're not responding to it in a way that I think for you feels as honest and through this discussion I'm agreeing that it may be just they're kind of coasting through it a little bit based on previous episodes well and through our conversation I am remembering back to that wonderful and and crushing um song we get from Pearl in the training episode uh with uh uh you do it for her do it for her yeah um and and, and that insecurity and that devotion of of putting Rose Quartz, which just comes from and when we're first seeing initially just because she loves her yeah. uh, so fully from that. Now we're also seeing layers of also she likely spent much of her life as functionally a servant or a slave. Yeah. And so was never given any value, self-worth or, or value or any uh, notion that she should have that. And then. Rose gave it to I'm her. I'm assuming Rose gave it to her. So like like it, it does such a it does inform that in a really powerful way that in the way that, that that you hope a show will that when you go back and you see the earlier stuff if they've been very clever in their writing it still works and it actually enhances it. Um the other thing uh, and and like you're saying the stuff that we're getting revealed with Amethyst is also making me appreciate the stuff that was great before even more. But it's not working for me as well in the actual episodes themselves. But what I will point out, though, is I am I do really like the dynamic with with Steven and Paradox. Yes. So I think that is much more successful for me. Um, And the other thing I'll say is I was talking with former co-host Simon Howell about this. And um, he mentioned that he thought that this Paradox arc would have worked a lot better as a Steven bomb. Uh, And and I think that that is probably probably accurate. Yeah. And, and I'm also having there. It also feels very repetitive to me. Some of the plot point. It feels like every week they're reminding the audience about the cluster. It's like, don't forget, there's this thing that's happening, and we've got to build a rocket. And it's like we've spent like the past three episodes building this rocket. We remember, we're fanatical <laughs> viewers. Don't worry, Steven Universe. So like, I feel like it's just there's this combination of things that's coming together. And maybe I'm just spoiled because I watched like. 50 episodes of Steven Universe in a weekend <laughs> to start the show. But um, that's sort of kind of, that's where I'm at. No, I, I understand that kind of a structural issue of, yeah, this probably could have been better served as a Steven bomb. I agree. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So no, I, I totally see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. But now it's week to week and, you know, at, on the upside, we don't have to wait like a month for a new episode. We just have to wait a week for a new episode. <laughs> uh, and as we had fun uh, being very excited about, we do now have an Adventure Time date coming back in November. We have a stakes date coming back also in November. Uh, very exciting. So lots of great animation headed our way, as well as more of Stephen Universe. But for now, uh, any final thoughts on Stephen Universe? And if not, what wins your week in genre? Um, I think Flash wins my week in genre this week. Um, just because... I, kind of what we've discussed with Steven Universe is that Flash takes my week in genre this week. And I'm going to give it to Doctor Who, which feels awesome. It's been a while since I could since I could really do that. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. This is the beginning of the end. 
I can see it in your eyes, in everything you do. You're afraid to tell me that we're through. But I can tell by looking at you. This is the beginning of the end. You just give yourself away with everything you say. And though you never told me we must part, still I can read the writing in your heart. Why is it now when I hold your hand? There's some little something that I miss. What has become? This week in drama, we're not going to talk about Fargo, and we're not going to talk about the Nick, because we're gonna, I'm going to talk about those a bunch next week. Instead, I'm going to briefly mention The Leftovers, and then we're going to dive in here a bit with the Manhattan premiere, uh, Donatio Memoriae, and uh, the Kingdom premiere, New Money, before we talk a little Good Wife, Cooked, as well as the rest of the season so far. So, um, got to mention The Leftovers off-ramp for a couple reasons. First of all, and tip of the hat to the affair for this as well, uh, are you aware of Peen on the Screen in 15, Noel? I've heard of this, yes, but... Explain it for me for other listeners who may not know. For for, for listeners who may not know, uh, former co-host Simon Howell and myself, uh, last year, in our conversation with Mo Ryan about uh, representations of sexuality and talking about Transparent, talking about um, uh, uh, Outlander, talking about a bunch of different uh, representations of, of, of sexuality on TV in 2014. The co- we were saying the last thing uh, in our conversation then was talking about how uh, we were... About, we we were overdue some some peen on the screen because we're yeah no absolutely there's not nearly enough penis on television screen yeah because we're very comfortable with naked women on these shows yes. and that's how you get insty stakes and that's how you show that you're a serious dramatic actress and all of this but it's boobs boobs yeah and if yeah. you're you want to be scandalous <gasps> vagina um so uh, it was about time we saw things start to equal out and so then um starting this year at the start of the year after our, our smorgasbordgie uh last year in 2014 we said okay peen on the screen in 15 we're noting and keeping track and okay. i feel like hbo is making a concerted effort uh in this field because pretty okay. much all the peen on the screen in 15 Aside from very, very memorable instances in the fantastic tofu and cucumber, which I not tofu, I'm sorry, uh, banana and cucumber with the Russell T. Davies series from the UK uh, that happened earlier uh, this year. We, we've we've had looking uh, and uh, I want to say a couple other series, two and looking and a couple other series as well. Of course, very memorably Outlanders, brutal uh, sequence, uh, you know, that we, we had there. Um, but this week, last week, we got peen on the screen on the affair from Showtime. And this week we get plenty of peen on the screen, uh, on the leftovers. So again, tip of the cap to HBO getting a little bit of uh, equal time here. And the reason that I'm mentioning this for our listeners, I'm not obsessed with penises for our listeners who are new, maybe this week. Um, it's just a matter of representation and destigmatizing and de, um, mythologizing maybe the the male form a bit you know, getting a little equality in how we represent people um and, and so uh yeah I, I they have a character on the leftovers this week 
who gets chained up and is raped. Uh, I'm not quite sure if we're supposed to think that's what's happening, but he's chained up. So I don't know how he possibly could be consenting. Um, and and then well, gets... you can be chained up and consenting, but what is he chained up against his will? Yes. Thrown well, in the back of a trunk. Consenting. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he gets beat the crap out of doused in gas and almost lit on fire. Uh, he's had a bad week, uh, but they don't. That is a bad week. <laughs> yeah. But what it's great and it's very notable. And the leftovers did this. They had, you know, some some young uh, women running through the, the forest naked last week. And so this week they have naked dude. Um, but the camera is not like creatively strategically placing things to that. So that sure. we don't heaven forbid, we don't see, don't see penis. But, um, so I, I had to mention it for that, but uh, I really like this episode, the way that it focuses in on two characters that were, um, challenging at times in the first season, um, and really hones in on them, uh, explores them very well. I love what they've done with the guilty remnant this season or so far, this is our first glimpse of them. Um, and it's really intriguing, and I'm going to, I guess, leave it there until next week. We'll talk about it a bunch next week. But uh, I can't not mention The Leftovers right now because it's one of my favorite things going. Um, and they, they're they doing just such a one. They're take again, they're taking the strengths of the show, these character-driven, different perspective uh, episodes that were the highlights of season one and really focusing in on that in season two, and that's very exciting. Um, so more on The Leftovers next week. Let's move on to a show you have seen, and that's Manhattan. And now, did you watch season one? Yes, I did watch season one. And so what did you think of this premiere? Was Is it in keeping? Like, I, I had seen the first half of season one, but no, see, not the second half. So when we get in, I was like, what happened to John Benjamin Hickey? <laughs> huh. So wait, you haven't seen the second half of season one yet? No. Okay. <laughs> but I thought this was a really good premiere. Yeah, no, it is a really good premiere. Um... Manhattan was a weird show for me last season in that I was really kind of lukewarm on the show for a long time. And then towards the end, I started really getting into it. And then I had like kind of a weird character problem with it in a couple of instances and the, towards the end of the season. But I really liked this premiere, even the flash forward opening, which is something that I don't find super interesting as a narrative device. It's overused and sometimes it's just not used very well when it is used in this case it's one of those things where it's a historical event so it's just like oh okay you're gonna test it all right we knew this was coming all right that's cool we can kind of see where people are and the little hints about where frank winter isn't allowed on to the test site is an interesting enough question but it's also not like he's already on the outs with everyone as it is yeah, it's not so presented it's as just a twist. One of those things where just... Right, exactly. It's just like, oh, well, this kind of makes sense because Frank Winter doesn't play well with others. <laughs> so him not being at the test site kind of makes sense, regardless of where he ends up prior to the actual testing. Mm. So no, um, but no, as a premiere, I'm I was really excited about a lot of like the developments. I let out a big gasp and shock when uh, Richard Schiff's character was strangled slash shot in the eye. <laughs> oh, man, I was so he was so good. I was so excited that he was yes I was, he was on yes he's great. Oh, and then that happens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he's great in season one. You saw him like a couple of times in season one, right? No, he was not on. I I saw like the first like six. I want to say, 
uh, of season one? He was at least in the first six. Okay, then I don't remember him. He was at him. least in the first six once. Okay, okay. but yeah, no, he, he's, he's definitely in the back half. So no, but yeah, so that was really like, I let out a big gasp about that. Mm-hmm. So that was really surprising to me. Um, but no, I'm really excited about a lot of the dynamics um, going forward. Charlie Isaac's taking over is um, really interesting and really fascinating for me. Um, I loved his uh, St. Crispin's Day-esque speech about rallying all the other scientists around him. And um, I like Oppenheimer being is going to be much more central to the show this season than he was last season, from what I understand, which I'm very excited about. Because um, he was just kind of the shadowy figure last season, and he's going to be playing a much larger role from what I understand this season. So I'm excited about that. Um, just in general, I'm very keen on Manhattan overall this season, despite like some tentativeness. And if only because I love everything Olivia Williams does, and I'm really excited to see what happens to her now that she can't leave. Frank's nowhere to be found. And what the hell is she going to do on the hill? And how happy is she going to be on the hill, basically? And I'm and I just love Olivia Williams. Period. She was basically when I was like kind of cold on the show. She was what was keeping me going and interested in the show. And so I'm really really excited about um, just her entire presence and what's going to happen with her character. How did you feel about it, especially considering? You hadn't seen the second half of the show. Were you just kind of like, where's Frank Winter? Why is that guy a spy? <laughs> uh, no, I was just like, okay, this is a thing. Like, like that. I wrote this this piece a while back, um, like a month ago, about yeah, no, I wrote it. Yeah, about, about jumping in on shows mid series. I'm very comfortable. Do- I'm at the point where I'm just like, fuck it, whatever. I'll figure it out. And uh, I'm also very. I mean, that's also just. I'm, I think I'm trying to encourage that element of my personality rather than the obsessive completist element of my personality, which is also so very, so very much there. Um, but no, I was able to go with it very quickly. Um, it becomes clear after not that much time that, that the, the, you know, Frank isn't going to be there. He's not going to be in this episode. And for me, opening with 21 days to Hiroshima, uh, was, was like, a just a, 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 a Mass Mickelson style mic drop of a start uh, to the season. I thought that was very effective. Um, yeah, the guy being a spy now. Um, I can't really say too much about that because uh, I the way that it, my reaction to that was then tempered and affected by what came in the next episode because I've seen the first four. Um, so oh, okay. I can't. Well, aren't you lucky? I can't quite <laughs> remember exactly. So I don't want to say anything because I don't want to accidentally spoil sure. anything. Um, I don't remember exactly where the break is. But um, I thought that that was uh, interesting and effective. And um, I really like what they're giving um, Rachel Brosnahan to do. Uh, she was really impressing uh, me in this. As well as I think Ashley Zuckerman does a good job stepping. As well as you know Charlie does a good job of stepping forward in it. And like you say, Olivia Williams for me as well was the reason I was watching it. So she's yeah. just delightful and fabulous. And um Next week's episode is really good. That's all I'll say. I'm excited. No, yeah. I'm excited. Um, what was I was gonna say I've read over the, like the summer um, Command and Control, which is about the Damascus incident with um, some nuclear missiles. Um, it's from the same guy who wrote uh, Fast Food Nation. It's a terrific book, and it's about the atomic nuclear weapon history of the United States. 
and it's just given me this like nice foundation to better appreciate what the show is doing. So I think that's another reason why I was really excited about the premiere is that I read this really extensive book about our arms history and everything that's gone into it. And I'm just like super excited to see how the show dramatizes this bit of history. And I also just love the fact that their set is actually in the middle of a desert. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it, it certainly helps. It gives uh, authenticity to a yeah. lot of what we're seeing. Absolutely agree. Um, well, any other thoughts on Manhattan? And if not, you watched Kingdom. I did watch Kingdom. Um, I told you I was going to try to watch as much of season one as possible. And I watched the first episode and then I got really sick last week. So I didn't watch another episode after the, the, <laughs> Fair enough. the pilot. And then I was just went, but Kate's not going to care because Kate just wants people to start watching episode shows in the like episode eight of season five and just <laughs> go with it. Yeah. And so, um, no, so I did watch the season two premiere and I have kind of no context for anything that's going on <laughs> despite the previously on and basically my reaction has been Jonathan Tucker is a madman actor extraordinaire which we all already knew and he's operating I think on a just a totally different plane from everyone else um from a performance standpoint um from just a general story narrative standpoint, this isn't something I would seek out for myself personally, and it's not something I'm going to continue watching. Uh, but it's kind of, a lot of it is just the fact that I have very just ill feelings about MMA fighting and boxing and just that kind of culture and that sort of thing. I don't find it interesting. Mm -hmm. I find it vaguely barbaric, for want of a better term. And the dramatization and dramatization of a family wrapped up in this and working in it is something that kind of like my same reaction that I had with Friday Night Lights and high school football is just like I don't I'm not able to get into this from because of that particular barrier so it's one of those things where I can acknowledge that this is a really well put together show it's a really well acted show and I can understand why people are really would really like this. It's not for me because of this particular barrier. Oh, fair enough. You've seen two episodes of Kingdom, which is more yeah. than most people have, including right. most critics have seen uh, of Kingdom. I, I reached out to the PR people for Kingdom twice, trying to get screeners. Uh, we had somebody at the site who wanted to review it week to week, but doesn't get the network. Uh, and right. Did not hear back from them. So I didn't see a single season preview from anyone out there. So I just... Yeah, and it's a show that I wouldn't have even been able to watch the first episode of if it hadn't been for the AT&T and DirecTV merger, because AT&T is my cable provider. Mm -hmm. So I was able to watch it on, a, on through their VOD service, because otherwise there's not a way to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very odd to me that... that Because this is a show that, that we just kind of checked out um, and we're, like you said, really impressed with the, some of the acting and for me specifically, Jonathan Tucker, um, I reviewed, I reviewed it for, um, I want to say I reviewed it for the AV club, either for the AV club <laughs> or pop optic somewhere. Uh, I think, I think it was the AV club. Um, I was very impressed with the, for, with the beginning of the season last year, or just as a, this, this show has potential. And it's been one of those yeah. shows I've been looking forward to, uh, coming back. Cause I think it has the potential to really 
do the leap you know we yeah sure critics we talk about the leap all the time and i like this this premiere i think it's very solid uh and there's a lot of I think it comes back well. They reestablish. They set, they jump forward in time, uh, six months from the 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 finale, which was a very strong finale, I thought. And, and some of the things like you know, it's it's a very much a surprise that Lisa's pregnant. Uh, and oh, okay. Super I thought pregnant. that was just something. Oh yeah. I didn't know that that was a surprise. Oh well, so, okay, and then, here we go. Well, there you go. Well, and again, it's not. A, it doesn't matter that you yeah. didn't. The show yeah. doesn't treat it as a surprise. The show's like, yeah. no, guys, she's like when you see her throwing up, I was like, oh, we're gonna be like, oh no, she's pregnant. I, I think I I was distracted by like the the phone or the door or something, so I didn't see. I I think I heard that scene. I was like, oh no, we're gonna have a whole. Is she pregnant? And then when I actually she walked, saw, she yeah, walked out. I'm like, like, oh no, huge. no. The show's not making a big deal about this. Uh, this is yeah. just a, a new wrinkle for the show. Um, so I really thought, I think that's an interesting development given where we left things off six months ago. Um, I also am you know really enjoying the performances from the the lead family, um, and I'm looking forward to what's gonna come next for them i really like them introducing this female fighter as well because yeah i think that's a nice just based on the first episode and then my sense of based on that previously on it was just like another woman wouldn't hurt the show it really wouldn't uh so i'm (laughs) I'm looking forward to that um i think given where we leave off um the nick jonas character last season we leave off mm-hmm. just for you, you FYI. We lo- we leave off with him picking up a guy in a, in a bar and getting the previously on touched on that. A oh yes, that's true. So, yeah, yeah. And so to have that come back here, that's clearly another theme that they're going to be or a thread they're going to be developing more. And what we get with Christina also very interesting, uh, complete departure for that character, um, based on what where we last last left left her. So I think they do a good job of jumping forward time, having the characters still feel in keeping with what we've seen from them, but also really giving that sense that time has passed things have happened um but it's not burdening or or weighing down the show it's just now we're picking up with them at a little bit of a later time so i'm looking forward to this season uh i hope there isn't a reason that they didn't the the show is not interested interested in promoting itself that's i hope they don't know something i don't um but uh, you'd think this is a show that is looking for people to talk about it but I don't know. I think it's also just one of those things where it's very difficult for... It's a very limited audience base since it was a DirecTV exclusive. And now it's still a DirecTV exclusive, but also if you have AT&T yeah. as your cable provider. It's basically the only way for you to watch this at this point, yeah. I think. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, it's basically... if the audience for that is a very small audience so maybe they don't care about promoting it because their audience they they already know that their audience pool is only a potential amount of subscribers yeah and unlike netflix you're not going to sign up for a new cable provider for one show yeah that's true that's true <laughs> who knows um but i'm going to keep watching it for now and we'll see what i completely understand where you're coming from by the way like we said there's yeah. there's too much tv so uh, watch the stuff that is uh in your your key, your your wheelhouse in your your uh area of interest cuz there's not enough time to watch to watch everything um speaking of that is why the last few weeks we have not talked about on the podcast the good wife because it airs on Sunday, and I have a Walking Dead podcast that I do, which means I have to watch Walking Dead first. Uh, but this week, I did watch The Good Wife. Uh, I'm all caught up on on on, on it. Um, I have been watching it like 
the Monday night or Tuesday night each week, but not in time for the podcast. What are you thinking of the season so far with The Good Wife, uh, Alicia and Boncourt, and what did you think of this episode in particular? Um, I've been really interested in what the show's doing by restarting yet again, but also putting Alicia back into a position of where she's really starting at the bottom again. This kind of symmetry of where she was in season one is sort of where she is now in season seven, at least in terms of not knowing how bond court works. Whereas she was just like, she didn't understand law firm politics in season one. She's much savvier now as both a lawyer, as a politician, as a human being. But she's still having to relearn things constantly and fight against perceptions of who she is. And that's something that's always been a running thread through this show, which is something I've always appreciated about the show. And you know this about me. We've discussed the show before. Um, and so I've been interested in seeing where the show is going in a tentative way, mainly because season six was just... It collapsed like not... a plan in the cupboard. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think about a really polite way to say that it just kind of collapsed, but it just kind of collapsed. And so a return to form it was something I was looking for, or at least a start to a return to form was something I was looking for. Um, Cooked was not my favorite episode of the first three that we've seen so far. Um... I wrote in my review about it for TV.com that it was a lot of intrigue and a lot of double-crossing and a lot of double-dealing, especially with Eli playing people off against one another. And while I'm interested in seeing what Eli is doing, I'm also not super interested in watching The Good Wife become a version of like an ABC drama where there's this big shocking reveal or there's all these weird, not weird, but these kind of surprise twists that happen throughout the show. And I think that's kind of what the show may be angling for, at least based on Cooked. And I'm not excited about that because in no small way is that The Good Wife is good at that kind of thing. They are very good at building up two twists and two reveals. I'm thinking about Leela, and I'm thinking about just any time that they do a ham sandwich episode, basically, is that's what the show excels at, is building up to these big events. And the show doesn't necessarily excel at these big shocking things, Will's death aside for me. And um, so that kind of thing makes me a little nervous, and I also think it's kind of the, that idea to maintain antagonism between Alicia and basically everyone else on the show who isn't Eli and Grace is becoming a problem at this point because there's absolutely no reason for Alicia not to explain Howard's shenanigans to Diane at the end of the episode when she's already told a guy to perjure himself basically and was totally willing to tell Eli about a two-year FBI sting operation. There's no reason for her to not break attorney-client privilege when she wasn't even taking Howard on as a client. And it's basically just like, why are you doing keeping this storyline going 
and keeping Alicia isolated from all the other characters on the show, making me wondering why these other characters are even on the show at this point. Even though I love Carrie and Diane so much, I don't care about what's happening over at the firm right now because it doesn't doesn't tie back into Alicia. And so I'm struggling with the fact that they can't seem to make these pieces fit together. No, that I agree. And the when Diane shows up at the door, uh, I was expecting that to like they're playing the drama of it. She huffs out of the meeting, uh, and and then to have it anticlimax and have it turn yeah. into a comedic moment or something like that. That's that's what the I feel like the Good Wife of old would have done. Would have been it yeah. would have been a smarter move. Um, I'm hoping something like that is coming based on the last beat we get with um, w- with Diane and Carrie and and David Lee uh, when when he comes in and, and we have they they're like oh he's actually doing stuff nice maybe yeah. uh, and I hope that they're going somewhere with that but um, yeah. I love him uh, the the, I, the character's name is, is escaping me at the moment um, Howard right. Uh, the old, yeah. the old layabout, yeah, Howard Lyman, yeah. yeah. I, I love Howard and Jackie as a yeah, thing. no, so bizarre but so amazing. It works, and I love that Jackie has basically a new guy in her life to elevate, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing because that's what Jackie needs. Yeah, it's that kind of way to control someone indirectly that way and elevate herself through them because she hasn't been doing that with Peter. She hasn't had to, because Peter's governor. One more is there for her to do, and Eli's just going to freeze her out anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no. I also don't know that I, as delightful as the scene was, yeah. I don't know that I buy Eli letting that cooking show happen. Because <laughs> that also hurts his clients. It hurts Alicia, yeah. Yeah, if it only hurt Peter, at this point I think he would go for it, but it also, it hurts Alicia, and... Yeah. I feel like that I'm not, I have trouble with that, but I do really I like what we get from Markendale. And I think it gets to that idea that we don't totally know what Eli's end game is right now mm-hmm. and what he wants for Alicia, because I think he's obviously angling for something for Alicia at this point yeah. to attach himself to Alicia in some way, even if it's just to destroy Ruth and get back at Peter. But I also think he still has an agenda connected to Alicia. But I don't know what that is. And I think he also likes Alicia. And I think yeah, that, no, is, he does. that is a significant part of it as well. Um, right. Which is why I think that it's a little... I don't quite buy him letting her do that cooking show. But um, yeah. it, was, it was an entertaining episode. Uh, I also... I'm not very interested in The Good Wife being... Uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, so I just I'm, I'm hoping they're not going to go too over uh, ha- I guess heavy handed with well she she tells a client to perjure himself in not those exact words and then right. she basically realizes that um, this judge is corrupt and she's gotten him off and she like. She agrees in the previous episode to do whatever the guy wants on the 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 election board. Like, there's, yes, I get that this is a thing the show has always been. It's always been part of the show. That was going to be my point. Was that the decay of Alicia Florek's moral center has been been the show? Yeah, but I feel like I mean, it's more been more interesting when 
there was some a then when there was there were two sides sure and i feel like this is when we have her counter counterpointed with will and we like will and then we find out this maybe bribery judge thing and and you can actually kind of believe that maybe he would but you want to think he didn't and, and you're seeing oh who is she modeling herself after she's becoming more like and it, maybe they will set up diane as like the the beacon for her and eli as the you know or, or peter but at least she gets less interesting for me the more she is like every other person in chicago and so I don't need her to be St. Alicia, but I just, it's a little too a story I've seen many times before. Sure. But I also feel like it's a story that we haven't seen a lot with a woman character, especially stretched across primetime television like this. And for me, at least from a representational standpoint, that's really interesting to watch that play out for us. And I think that also just the fact that I still think that she's, sort of conflicted about what she's doing but she's just less conflicted but i i really do take your point to heart about lacking a foil i mean she's not willing to become lewis canning she doesn't want to be lewis canning but she's willing to play lewis canning's game every now and then and i think that you're right she needs a foil but this gets back to the idea of alicia being isolated from everyone else on the show i mean there's no diane or carrie especially because carrie to me has always been the single most honest character on the show and the least corruptible really and there's no contrast to that anymore and i th i think that may be where some of that struggle is coming from is that there's nothing for alicia to play off of in with this arc and uh, Corey had a really Corey Barker had a really great point is that maybe the reason why Alicia's just isolated from everyone is that no one can stand Juliana Margulies at all <laughs> <laughs> it's just not Archie Panjabi apparently it's everyone <laughs> well uh yeah I, I'm sure that'll be something you will either hear nothing about it ever <laughs> but there have been it's certain other podcasts that I enjoy TV podcasts uh, have mentioned rumblings that actually maybe it is uh, Punjabi that is the issue, but they don't necessarily sure. trust their sources. So uh, yeah, who no knows? one knows for sure. So I mean, it's just it's yeah, it's a what. But yeah, yeah no, it it is it <laughs> yeah. you do start to have, have to ask you do have have to start asking questions when. You yes, we get isolating the character, but I mean, there's a certain point where we're starting the show, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see is basically how I'm approaching this, even though I didn't really like to cook. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Uh, the the last thing I'll mention is I enjoy. It feels like the show is basically saying, "Yeah, I know Finn Polmar. Oh God, that was a hit. That was, that was we really missed out on that one. But Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he has chemistry with everyone. <sighs> I know, and he's so just. He just oozes. Yeah. Oozes chemistry and just sheer different type of... When they brought Finn on, they were talking about how he's a different kind of masculine energy for the show. Mm -hmm. And I never really... I understood where they were coming from with that. But it was also just like... It wasn't different enough from Will for me. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is very much a different type of masculine energy for this show. 
and it's really exciting to, to see what they're going to do with him, hopefully very soon, because I was really disappointed he wasn't in this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also, um, it feels like what they were trying to do with Stephen Pasquale, uh, but... Yes. I mean, and don't get me wrong, manage. as I, as I yeah. have said, I enjoy Stephen Pasquale, especially when they let him sing, and they didn't let him sing, and he was at a charity gala where people were singing, and he wasn't <laughs> singing, and I'm not understanding this. But, um, yeah, I think so this is a much better version of that. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Anyways, well, what wins your week in drama? Um, I guess Manhattan of the shows we discussed. Oh, oh but, <laughs> um, but of anything. It doesn't have to be oh. a show we discussed. Any drama you watched this week? Any drama I watched this week? What else did I watch this week? I was sick all week, so I watched a lot of Cheers reruns on Netflix. Why are you um, laughing? That is a delightful choice. No, it's it's my go-to when I'm sick. Um, no, I think I th- Manhattan probably, like, I was slow to catch up on stuff, so I still have, like, a bunch of Thursday stuff on mm-hmm. my DVR and all of Sunday except for The Good Wife, so... Manhattan, I guess, of what I managed to watch before I got really, really sick. <laughs> Good times. Um, I'm going to give it to The Leftovers, as will surprise sure. no one at this point. Um, now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with our DVD shelf of Justice League. That x-ray vision working yet? Just enough to see Hawk soldiers still patrolling the skies. They'll have the whole city covered by now. Who knows? Maybe they'll get tired and go home. Yeah, I know. But a little optimism at a time like this couldn't hurt. This is the voice of the Thanagarian Occupational Authority. Your so-called Justice League is in violation of our martial law. They are to be considered an enemy and dealt with on sight. Any person found aiding or harboring them will be summarily punished. Okay, so much for optimism. For the time being, we're going to have to go underground. How exactly do we hide when the entire planet is looking for us? They're looking for the Justice League. Without our costumes, we are merely ordinary citizens. Hold on a second here. What about the whole secret identity thing? I mean, I trust you guys, but I'm not sure I'm ready to... Wally West, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne. Show off. Red hair. Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of PopOptic.com, and I'm joined once again by fabulous guest co-host this week from TV.com, Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, and this week at the DVD shelf, we are talking about an animated series that I've been meaning to take off the list for a while, and I, I have a couple people in my circle who are going to be very happy that I've now seen quite a chunk of this series, and that's the Justice League. So, Noel, again, thank you for coming on, and why did you want to talk about Justice League? 
Um, in no small part because, I mean, you're a big fan of, like, the comic book shows that are going on right now. And we've got Legends of Tomorrow launching, which is basically DC's way of doing a Justice League TV series, as well as keeping a bunch of actors that they really like under contract. But I thought it would be interesting to look at an animated version of basically one of the iconic, the one of the iconic superhero team up properties, along with the Avengers. I mean, it's basically the DC version of the Avengers. And so I thought that would be really interesting to talk about. And I knew that you had d discussed Batman, the animated series previously on the DVD shelf. So knowing that you had seen that, at least, um, Justice League occurs within the same universe as the Batman animated series, as the Superman animated series, as Batman Beyond, as the Static Shock animated series that doesn't get nearly as much love as it should. And so knowing that you had the context for at least some of the show for some of this universe. I figured it would be a nice thing for you to discuss. I'm really interested to know what you thought about it, especially from based on having watched Batman, because it's all the same creative creatives behind the show, minus a couple of writers from the Batman animated series. Like, Paul Dini wasn't very involved in this project, but Bruce Timm was still the guiding force behind it, as well as a bunch of other uh, directors and writers. And But also just how you felt about the show's structure, about being always two-parters, basically. And a bunch, just how you felt about watching superheroes try to beat up things. And <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me how you felt about Justice League. I want to know. I want, I'm interested. <laughs> well, it was, it was fun. I had fun with it. And unfortunately, some life happened. There was, I, did, there was like, I had to pick somebody up at the airport, which I didn't budget my time for uh, ahead of time. I should have. Uh, so I didn't get to see as much of this as I would have liked. So I've, saw, I've seen the entire first series, season, I should say, okay. and parts of the second season. And from what you tell me, I got that backwards and should have done it the other way. Um, but I yeah. started at the beginning and planned to watch all of it uh, before a, f a, a few things happened this weekend that ate up more of my time than I anticipated. So the... I don't think I've necessarily seen the best that this show has to offer. So I, I don't... I w you have not. Okay. <laughs> okay. Apparently, I very strongly have not. I'm going to temper then this a bit because I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I feel like uh, there's a lot that it gets very right. That's that's very exciting um, for a, a superhero fan, for an animation fan, and the stuff that I think it gets very right is like you say it it being part of this larger world. I really like the way that they bring the characters together um, in, in, in the pilot over the course of it. It feels very organic. This def this feels, this is the Batman, not, not just because of the, the fabulous Kevin Conroy doing the voice work again and the, and the art and everything, but this feels very much of a piece with the Batman animated series. And uh, it, you get that sense with Superman, you get that sense with these other characters when they come in that they have a world of, mythology behind them informing what you're seeing and you haven't seen it all and you don't know what it all is if you're me and you haven't seen the superman animated series for example you don't know what it all is but it's there you can feel that um the the yes the writers know these characters but the actors know these characters too and that is something that can be tricky to convey um for voice actors uh, or any actor but i mean if you don't have that bible you don't have that like it feels like you're jumping in on these characters four seasons into a different show um, which is how I feel like any team up should feel, especially when you have pre-existing characters like this. And, and so when you see, and I know I was doing a little bit of reading about the series when you see Superman at the beginning and he looks old, 
he looks older. It yes. Looks pretty, I loved that. I was Which so people hated though. Why? People hated it at the time. Um, it, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that Superman just doesn't age very quickly in the comics. And so as you saw, like when you watched little bits of the second season, um, that all just went away. Like yeah. the squinty eyes, the, it all just goes away. Yeah, yeah, it just informs so much. It makes him um, a different version of this character we've seen so many times. And it was so much more interesting to take that that tax. I was disappointed yeah. when they, you know, when they undid that pretty dramatically um i also love the way that they handle batman earlier early in the first season where he shows up at the beginning and he you know as comic fans know he he's not in the justice league but he's on speed dial and so he's not in the first few stories after the the premiere and then when he does show up it's like dude freaking batman is here what <laughs> like they give him a reveal they give him a sting of music they're like oh shit it's batman uh that's how you know that's how you know steph got real because they had to call it like batman showed up now that diminishes like almost immediately because he's in like the rest of the season after that but um yeah i think they do a good job of, of juggling which characters they're gonna do they do a good job of, of changing up who gets um the storylines i think they do a really good job building some of the serialized character developments um early when i was watching the first season i was really disappointed that we got so little hawk girl i kept waiting because we got i feel like we got a good you know they kept changing up who the story was really focusing on and so i was like okay it's time for her hot when are we gonna get a hot girl and then i jumped to the end of season two and went oh well never mind clearly i missed the awesome hot girl episodes because i loved what i did see um of of late season two i also really love what they do uh, the way that they build that hot girl and green lantern relationship it feels very organic i yeah. love that apparently bruce tim was not on board with a wonder woman superman pair up because no this is so much more that... interesting <laughs> to do it with batman more instead. oh man i want to come on and just discuss justice league unlimited with you and at some point because that batman wonder woman thing it goes off man it goes off. <laughs> okay well these are some of the things that i enjoyed about justice league the the issue i had with it um is that it is very at least for me it is very difficult to marathon this series and the reason is in the first season and i cannot speak as well to the second season but in the first season when you're watching it the fight scenes are good for an episode or good for two, but they're too repetitive and it's just a bunch of punching people that you know is going to resolve after about five minutes. And it wasn't distinctive or meaningful enough for me to be able to marathon it as a week to week thing or just watching one story at a time. I'm sure I would have no trouble with it at all, but they, there's a sameness that really limited, it hampered my ability to just, watch all of it in eight i was planning to like watch all of it in like eight hours straight i'm not gonna lie yeah but uh but then life happened and i couldn't and getting back to it was was tricky and when when that is such a big part of the show which it really is um yeah that's really what held me back from from being able to get as much of it in that first sitting that i did not realize would be my main sitting <laughs> so what, what do you think about all of this um i i'm I am kind of lukewarm about, especially the first season of uh, Justice League. Um, I, it's one of those things where I love the fact that they're all two-parters. Mm -hmm. 
just from an idea standpoint, I think that's great. It's also great for at the time for home video sales because it was much easier to package two episodes onto a disc and then sell those two episodes as a movie or something that a kid could watch over and over and over again. But at the same time, if you didn't have necessarily a really interesting story to tell, then it was, oh God, I have to watch this for 40 minutes. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And that happens for me a lot in that first season is that some episodes, some stories just didn't particularly would work for me very well. And um, so, but other things like what you point out just from like being involved in that universe, because the DCAU is like a animated universe that I grew up with. It's one I really love. So it was like watching them like, retroactively work things in like so batman's costume gets redesigned so it has longer ears and his boots shift a little bit so that in batman beyond when the costume has longer ears and like the boots shift it's like it's an organic evolution from that so it's like connective tissue and i love that kind of thing and it's nice to see that kind of play out um, but then I just like the team up aspect and the all the sorts of different personalities that they put in together. And that's always for me where the show really shined was where there were character conflicts between the Justice League and not just whatever villain that they're facing off against. I mean, it's one of the reasons why the just the injustice gang two-parter is like my favorite from the first season because you just get villains sniping at each other for an hour and it's fantastic can we talk about how amazing it is because that yes that's fun when we get all the villains together i'm not as on board yeah. i'm not as interested in most of them but mark yeah. hamill's joker shows up and i'm just like ah, right squee! so happy <laughs> It's one of two times that they get to use the Joker in Justice League. Yeah. Because of the bad embargo and all that sort of thing. Because DC was really strict about what Batman characters they could use. And so they were just like, yeah, you get to use the Joker this time. And then they get to use him again in season two. And that's pretty much it. But I mean, it's just great. It's the best Joker laugh. Yeah. At the end of that first episode, it's just perfect. And, and but, it's the writing, and it's also the performance, and it just, he elevates, right. Mark Hamill and the writing yeah. for that character just elevates the whole show, and it's just, it's fabulous. Yeah, and I think that's the other big thing, is like, there's just, you talked about the performances, and all the performances are great. I mean, just, one of the things that, that I really like, and I'm, did how much of, like, research did you do when you were watching this? Because did you see that Tim Daly only does three episodes and then vamooses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Tim Daly had done it for all of Superman, the animated series. And then they bring in George Newbern, who... Do you watch Scandal? Yes. I've seen some. So, George... Yeah. Yeah, George Newbern's the other, um, like, MI6... uh, The other, like, psycho agent Mm -hmm. that works with Quinn. That's... He does the voice of Superman, and it's just bizarre. And he's still doing, like, a Tim Daly... He's basically doing a Tim Daly impression, so you kind of can't tell... But, I mean, it's just really well acted. And their guest cast that they get to bring on. So Clancy Brown comes back to do Lux Luthor from the animated series. And it's just really really well done. But it's just a really uneven first season for me. And so that's why I was, like, a little sad that you didn't get to watch, like, A Better World, which is, like, the best 
two-part episode of the Justice League series where they meet evil doppelgangers, which fits in really nicely with like the Earth 2 stuff that we kind of discussed with Flash. And so just that idea and that sort of thing. So I was, I'm glad you liked it and I'm glad that we had a chance to discuss it. I really wanted to like discuss like Justice League Unlimited with you because you will love Justice League Unlimited. But the problem is, is that I can't let you watch Justice League Unlimited until you've watched at least some Superman episodes as well because <laughs> Justice League Unlimited just decides Justice League Unlimited just decides that everything is canon mm-hmm. and they just play with it and it's really fascinating but Justice League is very much them kind of figuring out how to do a team up show and the other big thing that I always kind of that they struggled with as well especially in the first season is that you have characters who are just like super powerful like so powerful and have so many powers that you have to find a way to make it interesting for them to fight things. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, Aquaman has power inhibitors. Okay, he just, okay, he does. I guess. And it's just—it's one of the things that Bruce Tim and the rest of the um, the rest of the crew for the show acknowledges is that they really struggled with how to make that interesting and to your point about like the fight scenes all being kind of samey is something that they were actually really aware of is that they couldn't figure out how they struggled initially to figure out how to balance doing a lot of fight scenes with these characters and making that interesting and that was something that they were aware of and i think that they do better job of it like savage time that three-parter that closes out season one i think is magnificent Mm -hmm. And it's a really good introduction for you for Vandal Savage, who's going to be the villain in the Legends of Tomorrow spinoff. And, um, but there's a lot of really great action sequences in that, I think in part because there are vehicles involved and there's just weird vehicles involved. And the animation for that is also just really spot on. Like that fighter jet sequence that goes on a little long mm-hmm. is still really, really good. Well, and they... they have a very good reason to split up the characters for that one. I I feel like the three part, when they have the story to support it, I feel like the three part format actually works really well for them. Yes. Um, And so, because star crossed, which is the three part of that closes out season two is just, it's very good. Really great. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, the other thing that we haven't really touched on that I like is they, I think they do a really good job of, of matching the tone of the different characters. Like, I don't know if it's one of your if it's the one that you enjoy, but when they have the opening of the Grad episode or the Grad two parter, and it's just these two oh, archaeologists no. and they're just gorillas come up, uh, humans, uh, and turn around. It's it's delightful. It's it's so fun, and and these are characters that theoretically, um, like you said, their personalities don't necessarily mesh. They don't necessarily get along. Um, they do a good job of of catering to the different characters when it is a Wonder Woman episode. The thing that never works for me, a single time in in the episodes I watched, which was more than half of the show, uh, not a single time did Hera help us work. It is terrible because no, it because it, it sounds like she's talking to someone. It doesn't sound like she's talking to herself right. or praying to her goddess. It sounds like she's like, "Hey, Noel, help me out." And, and Hera never shows yeah. up because, as they talk about on Doctor Who this week, that's how you—that's the thing with gods—they never actually show up. Um, the and so so that like that 
really didn't work for me. But everything else, that's the kind of character that Wonder Woman is. Uh, so while I hate yeah. that voice acting choice, um, the the fact that the the Wonder Woman episodes really play into that tone works yeah. really well. Yeah, and Fury is also a two parter that I really like, just from like a feminist lens. Like mm -hmm. I talked about it a little bit when I was watching Wonder Woman for This Was Television, mm -hmm. um, the TV history blog that I used to write on. And I talked about that episode and just Wonder Woman's ideas of compassion and feminism and Amazons and that sort of thing. And I just really like that episode and that idea of like, this is what happens when this ide ideology gets a little warped mm -hmm. and what that means. The second half isn't nearly as strong as the first half of that, but I still think it's really interesting and that they're trying to tackle it is a nice thing to see. I love what they give Hawk Girl to, to do in that episode. Yes. She's like, of course, this makes complete. You do realize yes. the philosophy you preach, right? Because yes. this makes complete sense. You are. Yeah. This is why I think you guys are crazy. It's yeah. delightful. And, and it's one of those getting back to Hawk Girl is so it's just like, and getting back to just like John Stewart and Hawk Girl as well is just like, it's Hawk Girl is as sex positive as they could get away with being on a Cartoon Network show in the early aughts, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's just really cool. Yeah. I think. And I just, like, you pointed out the Jon Stewart relationship and their relationship, and it's just a really nice relationship. And it's a really interesting one. And just character conflicts and that sort of thing, like, they could have picked any Green Lantern, basically, because there are a gazillion of them. And they went with Jon Stewart. They went with the former Marine. They went with the guy who doesn't wear a mask or anything, who is very upfront about his identity and who he is. And that's just a really interesting choice. And you talked, like you mentioned Brave and the Bold, the Gorilla Grodd episode, mm -hmm. and just everything with Jon Stewart and Flash is just gold. <laughs> it's just gold because there's, they, they just don't mesh at all. And they're so funny with one another. Yeah, and that's what you get in a team up episode or in a team up show. Yeah. That's what show. that's that's why when that's... Arrow shows up on Flash and we get to watch, you know, everybody just laughing at how ridiculous Ollie is and gloomy and how he always finds a shadow to, to lurk in, uh, or or yeah. you know we get vice versa on on, on Air like because those two shows know their tones so well when they have a crossover they can really take advantage of that and and that's all a team up show that that's what you show can do yeah. with that kind of team up show yeah so yes. uh, and do you have any other favorite characters or favorite interactions or, or interplays or episodes you want to mention um a uh, better world obviously um all the episodes i recommended to you mm -hmm. to watch instead of watching the whole show um <laughs> you mean that advice really i should have taken <laughs> yes that advice you should have taken um hereafter is basically my my favorite Superman story that they do. I'm not a big Superman fan overall, mm -hmm. um, but Hereafter is great because they basically do a death of Superman story in a really interesting way. And um, it's just a really, really fascinating... I don't want to spoil it for you because I'm hoping you'll go back and watch... Oh, I will, yeah. ...season two. And, um, but no, Hereafter is a really interesting death of Superman story. And so... And yeah, no, I think Hereafter, A Better World, um, The Injustice... Injustice for All two-parter in season one, as well as uh, Savage Time and um, Starcrossed, mm -hmm. which is just great. Starcrossed is great. And it's like the big hot girl story that you were waiting for. And mm -hmm. 
it delivers on all fronts. Well, and you find out why they haven't given you one sooner. Because yeah, they were waiting no, on because it. Because <laughs> they were planting the seeds for that the entire time. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to watch that. And it provides a really, again, they didn't know that they were going to get Justice League Unlimited. And they used Starcrossed and told a really interesting story that connects back to Justice League Unlimited to spur that story on. And it's just really interesting and really fascinating. Yeah. Um, some of the ones I enjoyed or characters or other things Um, Amazo worked for me way better than he should have Um, oh great I'm really happy to hear that yeah Yeah. no I thought I had a lot of fun with that Um, I like when you're talking about the characters being overpowered I mean Martian Manhunter is amazing has every ability in the world he just like (laughs) phase into anything and just be like you're dead now I phased into you and then reappeared. So now you're dead. Like, or through any shield or through any, like, I, I enjoy how they're like, yeah. don't you dare come here because then we're all dead. If he gets your abilities too. Uh, so that, that, that was fun. Um, like you said, the, the end of season one where we have the time travel does work really well. Uh, they, I should like Steve Trevor better than I do. Um, it was a little distracting for me that it's Patrick Duffy. Um, first yes, of all, it is really distracting that it's Patrick. <laughs> and and I'm guessing the angel thing is the thing from the comics. Uh, yeah. But uh, that just felt a little too much. Like these two got to get together because comics. Yeah, comics. Because comics. Right. But what that episode does, or that story does, I should say, that three parter is like you said, it, it it puts John with with soldiers, and you get to see that part of that, his personality. It puts all these different characters in different disparate areas and lets them really shine. Um, and then find their way back together, and it's very successful. Um, and a... Batman's Batman in any time period, which is just great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Um, then the last one I guess I'll mention is, uh, I love, we're talking about Hawkgirl, uh, when they get warped to that alternate dimension, and they have the 50s kind of cheesy alter egos, and she's like, yes. I don't bake. <laughs> that, that That was delightful, so... So and much see, that's like. one of those, that's for me, like one of those episodes where it's a really neat idea, but it, for me, it's a real slog to get through. I find that those two episodes really difficult to sit through in part because I think it's just a tonal issue in that that kind of golden age setting, they didn't really manage to gel it with more modern sensibilities. Going back to our, our discussion about Jake Eric earlier mm-hmm. with the flash is like that didn't really gel as well as i was hoping it was going to and the, which it's the two-parter called legends i think and it's just something that doesn't totally work but i like the culture clash like with hawk girl is just like hawk girl just doesn't give any fucks <laughs> and it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> well and and they you can tell that they know that they can't sustain this and that's why in the start of the second part of they yeah. introduced something's wrong um, and maybe they could have gone into that yeah. more, but I, th- I think it, I think it on the whole works. Um, and uh, yeah, and like you said, the 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 climax of season two is also very very effective. And I look forward to sitting back at a more leisurely pace and enjoying the rest of Justice League. Now you say I have to watch Superman. Superman's the next one we're doing. I will tell you basically if you don't want to do all of Superman because you kind of don't need to do all of Superman, I will give you a list of episodes to watch. And I will actually listen to you this time and we'll, <laughs> we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much, Noel, for coming on to talk about all of the TV as well as, of course, Justice League. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? 
Um, I am reviewing shows at TV.com, and I am on Twitter at NoelRK. And you can find uh, me over at Pop Optic, of course, P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q dot com. And you can email the Televerse at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Televerse. Love talking about all of, of TV with y'all. And so please do reach out there. You can find the podcast up on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And uh, like we like I said at the top of the, of the podcast, we are doing our fundraiser right now. If you if you are able to donate or to to i guess sponsor or purchase one of the perks uh we would appreciate it if you're not in a financial situation to to donate and help out that way we completely understand but you know what leaving an itunes radio review is free so that's another way you can support the show uh but again thank you so much noel for coming on and thank you everyone for listening i'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse Thank you.